0: It's the podcast, of course. It's episode 90. Can you believe it? First off, um, I just want to apologise. I'm back in Manchester. I drove up in the blistering heat yesterday, which was kind of nice. Um, and I'm in a new flat. And as you can hear... Do you hear that? It's annoying. There's some construction going on because it's Manchester and the Forever Building. And also, I can't work out how to turn this air conditioning off. So, apologies. So, I'll, I'll be as brief as I can. Uh, Yeah, I'm back in Manchester recording this. It is uh, Wednesday. And what a response from last week's episode with Julie Hesman-Holsch. And here's the thing, right? Sometimes you never know what people are going to be like. You think you have an idea of what the person would be like and then you meet them. And Julie was kind of everything. I was so chuffed. She was she was so eloquent and and passionate and fierce and, and nice, like, which is kind of a crap word, but she is one of the nicest human beings. And it it is Testament right? Everybody, certainly on, on Twitter who sent a message, uh, between me and the podcast and Julie, just to say how much they love the episode. Thank you so much. You know, we appreciate that. She responded to each and every person by saying like, thank you. I'm really pleased you liked. That's, that's what she is. What a good person to do that. Um, and bloody hell there was a lot of them and she just kept doing them because it's all right. It's it's kind of quite nice to, to say thanks isn't it. So that was Julie. And I'm so pleased that you, that you enjoyed it. Um, what's next? Okay. Look, I'll get onto today's episode in a sec, but, if you are coming to see us live at Kendall Calling Festival, the great Kendall Calling Festival, we are doing two episodes, right? We're doing one at around 3 o'clock. Get to Tim Peake's Diner. Both at Tim Peake's Diner. And the first of our guests is past favourite, the Reverend John McClaw and Laura McClure. His wife, we're going to be talking all about marriage, having a relationship in a band, parenting, all sorts. It's going to be great. So I'm going to be sitting down with them before they're set on the main stage. I think they're on the main stage at 5.15. Make sure you get over and see them, but come and see us first, obviously. And then, and I haven't told anybody this, I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to say, at around 6, Tim Peaks is going to be busting full of people. Why, Craig? Why? I'll tell you Why? Now, I'm very, very excited to tell you that the legend himself, Mr. Niall Rogers, is coming on the podcast. And uh, I've had to reformat it a bit because I've only got a limited time with Niall because he's been travelling. He's got to do a massive headline set on the Friday night with Sheik. Um... Uh, but come along, it's going to be very, very interesting. There's a lots and lots of different people asking many, many questions. Um, yeah, I, I was just talking to somebody on the phone and uh, they went, you're really excited about this one. I said, I'm so excited and I really am because obviously uh, I'm a massive fan of Niall. So to sit down um, for a good half an hour and uh, and have an natter with him is going to be great. Um Right. Well, that's it. Sorry. I'm blathering on, um, this week. So last year, uh, myself and Griff were at the Manchester podcast festival. I know there'll be people listening to this who were there and it was a great night with Ralph Little, wasn't it? And it, oh my God, we could have gone on for hours. Well, we did. Um, but afterwards, um, I think Griff went home and myself and Ralph and a few of the, the people who run the podcast, uh, went and met up with other people because Richard Herring was doing his podcast on the same night with his guest was a comedian called Glenn Wool. And I met Glenn that night and we really got on and I said, look, if you're ever up for it, I'd love you to come on the podcast. And he was really up for it. And we've made it happen just before he moves back to Canada for a while. So I'm really pleased that we managed to get it all together. So Glenn came to meet us, on a, on a very warm day a few weeks ago in Soho. And instead of being in the spiritual home of Maison Bateau with all the artwork as we normally are, it was, it was really gorgeous. So I said, well, look, why don't we go and record in Soho Square? So we did. Please enjoy this. It's brilliant. Uh, I'm a big fan of Glenn. He's the loveliest, loveliest guy. And I think you're going to enjoy it. So sit back, get on the treadmill, Get on the commute, do whatever you're doing and enjoy. This is episode 90 of the Two Shot Podcast. Do you hear that construction? Bloody hellfire. This is episode 90 of the Two Shot Podcast with the fantastic Mr. Glenn Wool. I'll see you at the end. Someone gave me some at work when I was in the makeup chair and I went, I could get used to this. I kind of quite like this oil business. Yeah. And I could put a comb through it every morning. Yeah. If it's, I, uh, if it's there, I want it to be... I want it to, you know, look and feel quite nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I find I, I trim it. I, that, that's, that's, that's my major maintenance. Because if I don't, it just goes... It just goes. There'll the be one
0: sticker straight out. And, yeah. Do you look after yourself when you're touring? No. No? <laughs> You've got to, though. Have you, ever, have, have you ever had to cancel a gig? Yeah. Have you? Why? Vo- vocal problems... Because you've been screaming and you just sort of lost it.
1: Yeah, I mean, at the time, I would have said, "Look, it was just wear and tear of work." But in retrospect, it wasn't it, because I, I can, I, I, I don't have vocal problems now. But I, I've, I've cut back a lot of the craziest s- parts of my life. So it was. It generally is. It's what you do after the show. If you just go home and have. Um, have a quiet night afterwards then your voice will be fine but it's it's the Well, sometimes
0: fourth. your adrenaline must be so high after the gig especially if it goes really well
1: yeah yeah
0: and you've the, got to sort of burn that off somehow. yeah there's
1: <laughs> there's healthy ways
0: to do it and there is. did you learn that the hard way then?
1: yeah well i've got nodules now on my vocal cords and i yeah i went to the doctor in canada and he, the first thing he did he's like how much do you smoke and i was like oh like two cigarettes a day and then he stuck a camera down my nose and he's like you smoke way more than that i was like well i didn't know you were gonna stick a camera (laughs) in my nose (laughs) tell me about this but you know you get honesty out of me but you gotta tell me what you're gonna do next (laughs) well yeah he said um he said look we can burn those off uh but unless you change your change your ways they'll just grow right back so it was easier to change my ways. Did you stop smoking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quit smoking and um, yeah, the uh, the whiskey and all the things that come with it too. I still I still drink, although I'm taking July off, um, and I have I've kept to that. So I'm I'm
0: eight days in right now. So and you feel okay about it?
1: Yeah, but
0: why July? Why are you taking July off? Because everybody else takes January off.
1: No, it was uh, the Asian tour where I just drank a. I drank a lot of beer, uh, so I was feeling really bloated. But I, yeah, I just I just drank a lot, um, and yeah, it, it, it did. It, it didn't. It wasn't hard. So that's why I don't really count. Like it's it's not been eight hard days because it, like, it's like it's like when you don't drink that when you got a hangover. <laughs> 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 well, it must.
0: It took a lot out of you. <laughs> But also, you know, you're away on tour, not Asian tour. You're away from the family. It's going to take its toll. Yeah. Uh, certainly emotionally as well. Well, that's the thing. I mean, drinking
1: won't make your kid appear, but it will eat the time up between when, yeah. you know. And it makes it makes that time a little easier to pass. So It's not
0: going to solve the problem, but it'll sort of disguise it for, for yeah. a, a period of time yeah. anyway. Yeah. Yeah, numbing the area, so to not, speak. Not that we're advocating uh, heavy drinking to for to solve any problems. <laughs> hey, whatever works, man. <laughs> I, I I neither advocate nor nor dissuade. It's uh, we just don't preach. No nah. we'll everybody has to find their own path, and that's okay. Yeah. So obviously, I want to talk about you. I want to talk about comedy, but first, I want to talk about love. And I want to talk about romance. All right, I want to talk about how you and your wife met because I, I I heard about it and I thought it was a really really great story. Do you
1: know it's in it's in like um, it got picked up by a reporter and now it's in women's magazines. Is it? Yeah.
0: Oh, I see. Totally. I knew it was a good story.
1: Yeah, like if you uh, it's okay or hello or break time. <laughs> And I uh, couldn't be more dismissive of who I am as a comedian. <laughs> so local comedian <laughs> Glenn that's What? what was. <laughs> 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 but, I mean they had to they had to give me a, a little bit of due cuz the way it happened was um uh my uh my now wife's best friend uh tweeted to me on her on my wife's birthday saying it's my best friend's birthday. Can you say happy birthday to her? She's your biggest fan. Right. And I, um, I initially declined <laughs> saying I don't, I don't do stuff like that. And then I looked at her pictures. <laughs> I'm going to reconsider. Yeah. She's, she's a very, very, very attractive woman. Um, and uh, but I mean it was still playful in that, you know I didn't want to be one of those guys that just you know with some because it hadn't come in with um, you know it was just like could you say happy birthday you don't want to be like a creep all of a sudden no. oh, I can do more than that for you yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <God. laughs> what are you chicks numbers you got. <laughs> Do you girls fly? Would you fly for fun? <laughs> I mean, we both know that in our industry, there's... <laughs> there's certain people that would oh, go in like that, God. I'm sure. You <laughs> would have crawled through the internet to get to them. You just would have seen a hand coming out of your smartphone. <laughs> so I, I, um, I said... Um, I, I did I did wish her happy birthday in the end. And then Amber... Um, uh who was the friend uh said uh of my wife Alex she she said uh would you consider marrying her for her birthday uh she's she's really nice (laughs) and uh and I I said something to the effect of I I wouldn't I, I you know I'd she she seems I, I wouldn't put her through that <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't put anybody through that Why would I inflict that Yeah yeah Come on He said she was nice And then um, Alex tweeted on top of that um, Don't tell him I'm nice Tell him I'm dirty <laughs> <laughs> So uh, and she would have been uh, she would have been 27 at the time and I would have been 40. Um, sh- uh, I decided to make a little joke. I said, Well, just what every dirty girl wants on her birthday a dick pic. And I sent, I, I tweeted a picture of um Richard Burton, <laughs> 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 like in full uh, Mark Antony regalia, like yeah. <laughs> the purple robe and the leafy thing. And then they all, they both were like, LOL, ha 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 ha, and only. Like a year ago I found out they had no clue who Richard Burton was. No they didn't really.
0: And she said
1: she they both talked about it quietly like DM saying that they just assumed it was a picture of a dick like the like, guy like just somebody called dick. Well no like like just just a like a guy who was a dick. Oh was a dick. And I, I was like you know, it's true though. <laughs> like Richard Burton was a dick. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even think his mates would come in like, Oh, what are you talking about? I'm not defending <laughs> him. <laughs> but um But even like even with that, like that's that's where it ended. Like they so saw I was on my I was on my couch in Canada when that happened and uh Amber was teaching English in Thailand, and Alex lived uh, here in uh, the UK. And that was just, you know, every once in a while, I'd tweet something and both of them would like it, and, you know, just, you know, just... Um, As is the uh, way on social yeah, media, yeah. yeah. Friend, a friendly... Um, every once in a while, a friendly chat would ensue. And uh, then uh, I was over up for Frankie Boyle uh, at just the Soho Theatre, just a block away from here. And... Um, I just, yeah, I wasn't living here at the time. I was just in town doing some gigs. And she tweeted um, right after because a friend of hers, who I'm not sure I think had sort of taken her there on a date and gotten her tickets to see the show. Oh, really? she was like, I got to see my favorite comedian, Frankie Boyle. And then my second favorite comedian, Glenn Wool was opening for him. And I was, uh, at that point, I... I said, well, uh, I'm in town. Do you want to get a drink? Because we'd, we'd, we'd talked, but it was one of those, is this a date, isn't this a date? Right, you yeah. Know. But,
0: um... Was that yeah. privately
1: you messaged her? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but the other stuff was, like, right out in the open, yeah. out loud. But, yeah, that pri- I privately said. And then, um, yeah, we went out for a drink, and it was just obvious we fancied each other. And then at that point, I... Um, I gave her a nice kiss and we <laughs> we went we went on many dates afterwards and then we got married and now we've got a kid. But uh it it's it's one of those bitter sweet uh stories in that uh we started dating and then I was on an uh, Asian tour and I told Alex that she should come with me, you know, sort of the next step in the relationship. And we'd also get a chance to meet Amber, yeah. um, who had gotten us together. Who was over in Thailand. In Thailand. Yeah. And uh, Alex flew out and um, was, uh, was able to uh, get there. But uh, Amber got bitten by a mosquito uh, developed uh dengue fever and died oh, just man. like like more out of the blue than than you can imagine but it was just an uh and, and I never actually ever got a chance never to, meet, to her, meet her but Alex was able to be by her side um, just to say goodbye one more time and she never she never recovered from the coma that she was in but she she, uh, Alex said she was aware that she uh, she was aware that, the, that the, she was there and sort of wiggled her finger a bit and stuff yeah. and the doctors said that that was that was an amazing sign but never never recovered and they had oh, to wow. turn the
0: machines off so it's so fucking sad I mean as you say it is bittersweet yeah but how beautiful that she sort of started to orchestrate that, and now you're where you're at now. I mean, I know you lost what you all lost. For. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, I mean, it's, um, it's Alex, and I can see she still
1: misses her. It's like oh Amber God, was bear. her best friend, was, for, when, was her
0: best friend, yeah, from yeah. when she
1: was three years old. Oh, shit. so, um, it was, it was strange too, uh, when I, because I kept saying, because I'd, I'd had loads of friends offensive had dengue fever, and, and although it's, it's terrible um i didn't even think he could die from it, but there's a certain strain that um that kills you or, or that you know has like a twenty five percent survival rate uh ratio um but when it finally became because i kept i kept telling alex like i i I made sure she was able to go back there I got her on a plane and uh and everything um but I kept saying it's going to be fine she's going to come out. But when I realized she wasn't, I sent, I sent a DM to, uh, to Amber, of course, she was in a coma, uh, just saying that, you know, thank you for everything, and you know, will I'll, I guess I'll have to take care of her now, and, and, and um, yeah. I wish we could have met, and, like, I knew it was never going to be read, but I, I found it quite cathartic, and then, um, it turned out her, her boyfriend did, did read it, and, and told Alex about it, and um, it's weird, though. It's like um, you know, it's sort of it's one of those things in the in the information age. You never had a chance to do something like that before. But I, I did. I did actually do that to another friend that who'd um, struggled with health issues for years, and then he he slipped into a coma in Hawaii, and we were all told when they were gonna turn the machines off. And I, right. I sent him a text right at the time
0: the machine would have been going off. Just well, you're right. There is something very cathartic about that. Mm. Even though if you know... It's like writing a letter to somebody that you know they're never going to read. But, you, you know, you're doing it for the different reasons. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. I would su- I would suggest it to anybody if um, if you have the opportunity to to do something like that. Well, it I does was,
0: help. I was talking to a, a comedian and she was going through a very difficult time of her life. And uh, she, it was suggested to her that she, she just goes away, just goes away, just leave the children, go away for a week and just go and write. Not necessarily to write a show, just to write, just to get it out of your system so you can see these words in front of you and you can realise how you feel and what's going on. And anyway, it grew and grew and then it turned into a show. But it's, that wasn't her intention at all. It was purely for therapeutic reasons and cathartic reasons to get it all out so she could see Mm. sometimes if you write down you can see what's going on
1: yeah i had i went to a therapist once and he made he kept making me do that and um in the end i stopped seeing him just because that's what i do all day i was just like i don't need you for this you know like i was i would be in a like i'd get there a half hour earlier I'd sit in a cafe and I'd just start writing, and then I'd go in. He's like, "Well, you got to write all this down." I'm like,
0: "I don't. We got, we got to come up with something that I'm not doing anyway." Yeah. Do you think it is a uh, stand-up? Is a form of therapy for everybody for all comedians?
1: It depends what you're doing with it, but yeah, I definitely think um, it may may not be a. It may not be cathartic, but it would definitely be a way to diagnose something in in somebody. (laughs) Like, if they truly had written all the material, you could say, yeah, okay. And it's starting to come to light now, too, uh, just how much mental illness there is in stand-up comedy.
0: Why, do you think? (laughs) Because people are being more honest with how they are?
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, And I think... I think it's it's been um it's being looked at more by um uh, uh, it's being studied more. So it's it's getting diagnosed. I I talked to a stand up in um Liverpool this weekend, uh Paul Smith. I don't know if you know him at I all. I know all of Paul Smith, yeah. Yeah. I mean he's he's going stratospheric yeah. right now. And just in such an amazing way too. Um uh, you know, no real backing from television or anything. Just you know, just all all the internet. And he's a great comic. You know, he doesn't he doesn't get enough credit. But anyway, um, he told me that he talked to somebody uh, uh, that said they reckon from the amount of um, uh, adrenaline that we go through, like adrenaline spikes, just from yeah. gigging, that we've got a form of PTSD. Um, just in that uh, that the the um, it's not adrenaline that causes PTSD. It's it's the thing that lingers in your system afterwards. Right from the from the adrenaline. And if yeah. you don't if you don't get that out the right way, it can uh, linger. Yeah. So um,
0: I should have listened to the whole sentence. <laughs> I was just shaking in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know we were talking just before we started? I I got to shift a bit. My legs got numb. Get comfy. Yeah, there we go. So you know you were saying you were saying that you're now you're more sort of well known here than you are in Canada. Yeah. And now you know, soon, very soon, you're going to go back to Canada. Do you feel in any way you've got to crank it up and almost reinvent yourself or start again, or you've got more to prove?
1: Uh no I, I won't I won't change too much cuz the they, the credits I have um transfer like the 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 gigs that I'm playing they know who I am and, yeah. and what I can do so if I did if I did change it to uh to try
0: and suit what I think they wanted, then they could go, Well, that's not who we hired <laughs> you know. And also in that respect you wouldn't even be true to yourself and true to what you do, would you? If you're trying to please other people.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a real easy way to screw things up when you start to It's funny that it that that's the it's a trap a lot of comics can fall into before a really big gig. They can convince themselves, Oh, I gotta I got to change it all. You know, I got it this far, but yeah, because that's of, what the
0: audience wants.
1: Well, you just you just get stuck, trapped, and you're you know, self-destruct almost. <laughs> you, you think you're right at the time, but yeah, you you could a, com, a comic could easily fall into that trap. Have you ever fallen down that or, uh, or been tempted? Yeah, yeah. I think sometimes I've not performed my best on my biggest gigs. Just you know. A lot of the time, too, it can, um, it can be what they do to you before big gigs, too. They sequester you in an area and keep you there. And, you know, you don't really get to talk to anybody. And, you know, they'll put makeup on you three hours
0: before you are supposed to go on. And it's like,
1: okay, sit there, don't touch your face, and don't talk to anybody that you know.
0: No, <laughs> so, I'm not restricted. I'm absolutely free. Yeah. I'm fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We've got a microphone on you now, too. So <laughs> watch what you say. <laughs> yeah.
0: Do you still do you get nervous before gigs?
1: Uh no, I mean
0: or is nervous the wrong word?
1: Yeah, I think uh sometimes I get um I want the I want the gig to be started, you know, like just um you might have mistimed your your, your preparation and like a half hour before you're just like oh, we just start the goddamn gig, you know. Yeah. Um, but I don't think, I don't think I get nervous. I did have a I had a weird thing for a while. Um, it, it, it was, uh, it, you know, it was nobody, no doctors, nobody could tell me what it was. They'd, uh, I had this really strange urgency to pee before the show. It felt like I needed a massive piss. Yeah. But I didn't, like I'd go and have a pee, uh, and then it would still feel like I needed this great big P. Right. And it would be, it would go on through the whole show. It felt like I was about to constantly piss my pants, which is
0: not. It's not, not conducive for a stand-up <laughs> well, or during, a, do, during of, a show. Yeah, but I don't think anybody wants to feel no, like, But especially in front of all those people, and all yeah, you want to do is get your set uh, out. Unless
1: you're a German porn star.
0: <laughs> and that's a very niche bracket. Yeah, not, yeah. It's not everybody who can do that. <laughs>
1: yeah, I wouldn't even say you're a star at that point. You're just a you're burden. working in the industry, but you're not a star. <laughs> uh And, yeah, I kept going to doctors and uh, going, you know. And the the best, some of them would prescribe me hotavan or stuff like that. But with anything like that, you either have to take it in a high dose and be whacked out out of your skull when you get on there, um, or you take it in such a low dose, it doesn't do anything. So there's Um, no middle ground? No, and I was always, I'd, I'd never... Yeah, like I'd, I, I don't know, I don't know what it was, in the end. But it, ne- like, you cu- you couldn't you couldn't trick it like that. <laughs> and did, it was, it just, did it just eventually go? Yeah, but I still get like, I mean, I'm not. 100% comfortable talking about it right now because I can feel the edge of it going. Well, I could come back at any time. Let's change subject. No, 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 <laughs> no, no,
0: no. No, I'll fight it. Especially because uh, you got a gig tonight. Come on, I don't ah, want to be doing that. It's a
1: little gig. I'll piss my pants at this. It's alternative <laughs> comedy. It's probably, probably... probably, probably win a an award.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but
1: can he do it every night?
0: <laughs> if I have a cup of coffee, I can <laughs> So, can we talk about growing up in Canada? Sure. How was that? I loved it. I loved it. Um, it was... Uh, what about so where you were in? Was it in Vancouver?
1: No, no, we were in... Um, I was born in Mississauga, which is a suburb of Toronto. Hmm. Two years there, five years in the Yukon, um, up by Alaska, and then five years in Saskatchewan, which is the flat bit in the middle it looks like a football pitch yeah uh and then uh the rest of the time in vancouver so what was the reason for the moves uh my dad was a mountie of was RCMP. he he was he was he used to come to jolly old london he was the one who caught jeffrey archer yeah wow yeah <laughs> jeffrey archer who is still a friend of my dad's and doesn't look at him like he does he's not mad at him at all he's no. just like oh jolly old chap you got me <laughs> <laughs> you know but he i mean he went on to have a good life away from politics and maybe he was happy to be out of it but yeah jeffrey archer had um he had uh uh investments with a company uh called aqua blast right um, that was designed for cleaning buildings, which was a much bigger deal when uh, London and Glasgow were coal-powered. Um, all the buildings were really black, so it was a way to um, clean them off. Uh, and he told the government, you need to do this. And they bought they bought all the equipment. <laughs> and my dad was like, you know he owns that company. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was a Canadian company. That's what quirked my dad's interest. He <laughs> was a... It was a Bad stock investigator. So, um, yeah, he was he was coming over here a lot when I was a little kid. Were you coming over with him at the time? Nah, no, no. Nah. Caused a lot of um, friction between my mom and dad because she was there. And it's only, it's only when you become a parent yourself. She was in Canada, in the suburbs of Toronto, with three boys under the age of five. Right. And he was... Uh, you know he was running around Europe in a leather jacket catch i mean he was investigating meyer Lansky. and wow, yeah, he's got some really good stories about europe do you know what do you know what the closest thing the the time i the, uh, when my parents watched bridge of spies right um the uh the relationship between um the American and his wife my my mom and dad kept looking over at each other. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> you see? Yeah. Well, the fact my dad watched a movie means it it was a good movie because he will generally watch about a half an hour and then... And then switch off. Well, he'll scuttle into his office and then just start making phone calls. Like, he's a lawyer now. Is like, he? Yeah, yeah. Well, he got fucked over by the police in Canada. They he charged somebody that they were all, they all had investments with <laughs> they were like no 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 he's he's fine george what are you talking about <laughs> and he got him found guilty but um yeah they wanted to um they wanted to make him go <laughs> go be the RCMP officer in the american embassy yeah in baltimore so we almost uh, i was almost american when i was little yeah uh, but it was you know such a ceremonial Bullshit position. So he just resigned and went to law school. And that's what, because that was in the Yukon. And then he went to law school in Saskatchewan right. and then became a
0: lawyer. And um what age did he sort of go back to education? Forty-five. Because he. Oh had, my god!
1: Yeah, he he retired. Like he had enough time in the force that he got his pension, and he went to university <laughs> on his pension. So that's wow. how poor we were when I was a little kid. Um, like, it, it was weird, because we, we started off, we were sort of, um, in Canada, you call it middle class, which is just, you know, your dad's a cop, he earns a good living. Yeah. And then we were super poor, because, like, we were living on a cop's pension and also paying for university for my dad. Yeah. So we were... Just ridiculously poor, like like we we're never hungry or anything. But still, but you know, like if we broke a hockey stick, we knew like like that was a big issue. Um, and then he became a lawyer, and then we were quite wealthy. So we had, I had,
0: I can, I can see things from everybody's perspective, of course, uh, and of course, you know, you wouldn't be where you are now. You have to go through all that, yeah. You know? Yeah, no, I. But you
1: know, you know what I've always said. What? Uh, we were happiest as a family when we didn't
0: have any money. Really? Isn't yeah, Interesting, because yeah. I was mm. going to say, did that put a strain on, on the family dynamic with your dad doing what he was doing and uh, things, you know, you, know, you, were, you were eating, but it, it, things were poor. I thought sometimes that can put a restraint, but you're saying that was yeah. when you were happiest? no,
1: the, the, money, the money bought freedom, and then um, freedom drove us all apart. Like, uh, uh, we you know if you're broke you, you just sort of have to play together and yeah you know there's one toy there's not three <laughs> <laughs> yeah of yeah course. yeah and you know like uh there's money for baseball gloves and uh, old tennis ball and stuff but not much more so you know you find the other kids in the playground and you all end up playing baseball or, or street hockey or just because that's the that's the cheapest game going. Like I mean, you know, that's out.
0: all we've got right now. Yeah, so make do with what we've got.
1: But also more fun and more, um, you know, you learn how to you learn how to get along and and um, and and be friends with the with a large group of people. And also, you never, I you know, there's there's nothing more fun than like a big group of kids just. Sort of rascling around. <laughs> no, it's good. That's
0: start of life skills, isn't it?
1: That's fantastic. Uh, and Saskatchewan was great for it too, because it's just—I mean, it's just a really safe place, and there's a river that goes through the middle of town. Uh, so we could we could fish in the river, never catch a goddamn thing, but we could fish in the river. Uh, the university was quite open, and and it was a really easy un- or university to get into. So it always had interesting people. Yeah, going to it, and like we they like they just they they'd flat out put on exhibits for kids and you could just go to the university and that's where I learned about uh Da Vinci and all the uh, other renaissance like just as a kid they explained it and I I I got a job I used to deliver newspapers to the um to the dorms of yeah. the university but there was all like families and stuff so these were uh people from all over the world um they they were going to this called the university of saskatchewan and uh, yeah it just really gave me a, a I, 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 it was a very multicultural experience and the school we went to had kids from all over the world It was a
0: wonderful wonderful way to grow up when you, you touched on before about you saying you know you know in certain ways money kind of drove you all apart were you were you being flippant there or was did it drive you apart uh, yeah, no, we were never as close
1: as we were in Saskatchewan. Um, but I mean, we came out. We went. We moved out to Vancouver to be closer to both my parents' parents. They both lived on the coast, which is quite a Canadian thing to do because mm. it's, it's a temperate
0: it's climate. Quiet. My parents? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They were. They were just out here. Uh, were they? <laughs> yeah. You come see the grandson?
1: Uh, for the wedding? Oh, of course, for the yeah. wedding. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, um, I mean, we were getting to that age too, cause we would have been, uh, getting off into being closer to teens too. So it probably yeah. would have happened anyway in Saskatchewan, but because you can draw such a definitive line, yeah, you can, you just remember being closer to your brothers. But I, I, I really do think it played a part, you know, cause we all had, uh, yeah, once we all had our own cars and stuff, we were just, you know, you're you know, away. Yeah. And how yeah. was school life for you, Glenn? I was never a talented student. <laughs> I was quite did a bored Did you get on student. with it,
0: though, or did you just end, was it oh, redundant for you? Or?
1: Yeah, I don't think I was listening very much. I wish I had. Uh, there's things I, like I was in French class from the age of five all the way to 16, and now I can understand you if you talk really slowly. <laughs> and, and, and uh, yeah, I, I didn't even think that. But if, if, if I were to go to France for a month, I would I would probably... Get back into it. Yeah, but I definitely, if I'd done more than draw penises on the textbooks, mm. which I, it, it seemed almost like that's what they were trying to get you to do with those textbooks. <laughs> like, for the amount of, like, just, like, guy, like a guy standing with two hands on his hips, you know, what arching do you his back. What you to do?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Learn French? <laughs> you think that's what's going to happen?
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and was there a plan? Was it just to, like, just let's get this school thing out of the way and I can get out doing what I want to do?
1: Yeah, I... I from the age of 12, I knew I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. Did you? Yeah. yeah. Where
0: did that come from?
1: Well, and it used to be the most innocent story I had. This is when we were living in Saskatchewan. Yeah. Very, very little money to go around. But as a family, our favorite comedian was coming to town. And it was a really odd thing for him to do because he was uh, he's American... Big, big comedian, but apparently there's different stories about why he used to come to Saskatoon all the time. One was that in the uh, in the 70s and in the 60s, he used to come up there, and he really liked it because uh, uh, he, they wouldn't treat him any differently. And right. he said it was like small-town America, but with no bigotry or hatred, and, and he, really, he really enjoyed that. Um, Others say it was a woman. Uh, we don't. We don't know. But uh, I got to see this world class stand up comedian, uh, and I just remember going, "Okay, that's what I'm gonna do." And for years, it was, "Ah, oh, it's wonderful." Bill Cosby. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just, I was open and praying that you were going to come out with somebody like that. He was on my list then.
1: <laughs> yeah, thankfully there's there's now an ever growing list
0: of comedians. <laughs> <laughs> it's nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> Did you tell people at that age? Oh yeah, if someone said, "Oh, Glenn, for so what you're going to do when you're older, oh, I'm going to do this." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was always quite open about my uh, my motives. Oh, and were, were people supportive? They went, "Well, you can't do that."
1: I, yeah i don't i don't know like it's just people just just think well yeah you 're weird, so <laughs> yeah it makes sense <laughs> <laughs> but i also um it wasn't it wasn 't just about telling people it was about um recognizing what you needed to do to do that and the one thing I realized very young is that um a lot of people used to make people laugh with impressions and catchphrases. Yeah, yeah. And I said to myself, don't do that because it's not, it's not, it's not legitimately funny. It's like it, you're reminding people of something. You're not, you're not making something out mm-hmm. of your own brain.
0: Yeah, it's a trick.
1: Really. Yeah. So I would purposely, and I, I, yeah, I mean, maybe it's. Because I'm not very good at impressions or accents, so maybe it was a, it was a way of going. Well, you don't need them anyway. But uh, but in retrospect, the the reasoning was correct, and uh, and I was glad I was able to um, to see it. I, I mean, a lot of people have regrets about um, when they're younger and go, "If I could go back, I would tell my younger self this and that." But I I do look back at some of the things my younger self did, and I was like. Yeah, totally, I was totally right. <laughs> well, I won uh, the whole the whole way. I got to go to Europe was I won ten thousand dollars on a scratch ticket when I was nineteen years old. Um, or no, I was eighteen. I hadn't started comedy yet. And I put it in the bank, thinking oh, I'll need that at some point. Did you, yeah, I did. That's yeah. a
0: really mature thing to do at that age. I think I
1: took like a thousand and you know spent it on what what
0: have you, but. Uh, What a smart thing to do. Take a little bit for yourself, put the rest in.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I ended up getting in a car accident. Once I'd started stand-up, and I'd been going for a few years, rode off my car, got a whiplash settlement, and instead of buying another car to do um, uh, more gigs in Western Canada, which wouldn't have, you know, it would have just set me on a path for a colloquial... Uh, existence. Yeah. Uh, I decided no, and in most most comics at the time, I think cause this would have been about twenty years ago. They were all focused on getting to the states because that was seen as like, oh, you get down there, anything can happen. Nothing, nothing, nothing big can happen to you in Canada. Nothing bad can happen to you in Canada. You gotta get to the states. And I thought, you know what? I think it's Europe. So I consolidated all that money that I got, and I went backpacking. And within, I came over. And within two weeks I'd found a club in um uh Denmark that I I managed to pop on stage and then that led to this, 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 and I had some friends in Edinburgh and I popped up there and it all it all went from there. But it just it took the foresight of going, oh, Europe's the way forward. And now I think it's more more comics are trying to get to Europe as this you know, they they you can it's it's always obvious. They always want to get to the states, but you know they they come over with the best intentions, like oh no, this is where I'm going. <laughs> but first sniff of uh, first sniff of a chance of the states, they took it, and I did
0: it too. I I went to the states, so I can't. How you. was it when you went to the states? It's not for me. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no,
1: no. I I I I wouldn't like I would go back there if if there was something to do, but um. I don't know. It's sort of like, like, would you want to live in a mu- in an amusement park?
0: <laughs> well, no, if I was talking to somebody about this last week, yeah, no, it's a nice place to visit. Yeah, but I, I just not for me. And
1: I, I when I was there, and I, I, I'm not, I'm not a guru. I didn't predict it totally. I didn't predict Trump, but I said there's something coming, and it's not going to be good. <laughs> like you could see, you could see the under boilings of oh uh, there. <laughs> you know, like a doctor flicking an X-ray, going, "Yes, you're right here. This, uh, I don't know what not this is not supposed to be uh, that color." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cut it off, blast it, man.
0: <laughs> yeah. so, so can you remember the first time when you went on stage? Yeah, because you've been tinkering around, writing, and what, what? What was the point where you went? No, this is ready to to show people now.
1: Well, i i got um, i got dumped by my high school sweetheart. Right, uh, the day after my grandpa's funeral. (laughs) Oh, we've got to get some good material from that, surely. Come on. Do you know what? I don't think I ever did get the material from it. But what I did get from it was uh, just the just the full understanding or the full belief. Oh my life is my life is terrible. I'm unlovable. Uh, the time marches on, the, you know, my, my family's dying, I'm depressed, I'm going to get all of my depression out right now, I'm going to go and prove to myself I can't do this thing I've always wanted to do also. So in it's sort of a pragmatic way of going, well, I don't think I could feel any worse than I do right now. So uh,
0: I couldn't even do that right <laughs> <laughs> And how are you when things aren't going well during a gig? How, when Because <clears throat> did you hit the ground running? Yeah, I had a really good first gig. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
1: I'd been, like I said, I'd been writing uh, a long time and uh, keepin', keeping things in a notebook. And that's what I, you know, if anybody asked me about stand up and any tricks, and I'm just like, oh, there is no tricks. <laughs> you just, you get a moleskin and a favorite kind of pen. And if you ever, get found uh, out in the streets without it, then you're not really trying, you know? You Oh, just any idea, you get, you, you stop and you write it down and you surround yourself and people, you surround yourself with people who don't ask you what you're doing when you're doing that. It's just, it's such a, like, what do you think I'm doing? <laughs> Writing you a ticket? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh yeah, and I, so so I had I'd, I'd sort of um, I'd I'd been doing that for a few years. So the the first gig I was quite ready for, but I mean it didn't I didn't just kill the rest of the time. I uh, you know I had I had good shows, I had bad shows, but. I was 19 at the time. I had a car. I didn't have another job, and mm. I was willing to go anywhere to do stand-up comedy. And the kind of gigs, like, once you got a car, like, there's, there's gigs available all the way through the interior of British Columbia. They're just, you can get there. You can do it. Yeah. Nobody else wants to. Because they used to have this thing called the cabaret license in British Columbia meant that your bar could stay open for an hour later every night, but you had to have entertainment once a month. Yeah. And the cheapest form of entertainment was stand-up comedy. So the people in the bars hated it, uh, but they could drink longer because of it. So they actually had to mask the stage, not tell people when it was on, and then just... At eight o'clock on Tuesday, the bar manager would run on stage and go, Here comes Glen <laughs> 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 And they would be like, People go, Oh, fuck! <laughs> God damn it! Like, they'd unfurl a backdrop, a light would come on, and like, it wasn't just me. I was the opener, so I had to go up and do a half hour, and then, uh, you know, some local legend would come on and do an hour. and. Um, yeah, it was a great, way, a great way to like just learn how to get everyone's attention right off the bat, and 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 uh, also power through, and you know, like he couldn't really get fired, you know, because <laughs> they didn't have anybody that anybody else wanted to do it. So yeah, it was. Uh, I, mean, I remember one time. There's this group of loggers that had come in like they'd been in the woods for two months or something like that. And they'd tried to find the quietest back part of the bar that they could. Like they were like submariners trying to reacclimatize themselves to the shore. <laughs> And the light came on. They were all like, "Ah!" <laughs> I'm trying to work the crowd. Like, so what do you do? Oh, I'm a logger. <laughs> that transpired. <laughs> I was like, I think back there, and a lot of like the just the brashness of of youth. I was just dumb. I was lucky. I was wasn't just.
0: Disappeared into the woods. <laughs> you know? well, did you think you were kind of unafraid at that point?
1: No, we all wouldn't have been scared of anything. I'd have been, you know, like you know, calling out their shirt, and I fucked your mom, and you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been afraid of anything. Like, you know, you're just dumb. You're dumb when you're young, and um, I mean, you've got enough. I think at those points too. Uh there's enough witnesses that the guy couldn't really do anything like I mean there's one there's one comic in uh Canada um and he always used to um he always used to act like one guy in the front row wasn't getting the show and it was always the guy to the left yeah. like to the left of center and he just keep going Oh, he doesn't get it. He, 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 he. And it was always—it was never based on who it was. It was just based on where he was comfortable pointing. Well, you're playing a game of pretty nasty roulette there. <laughs> and he, guy just out of prison, <laughs> first, first thing he had done to cry, they like, "I'll take the wife out on a date. <laughs> I haven't seen her for seven years." Oh, God. <laughs> And he, he laid such a beating on <laughs> the <comedian. laughs> The crowd was just stunned into this silence. The guy had to go back to prison. Oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
0: Sorry. Yeah. Oh, that is uh, fucking tragic. Yeah. Has, you know, over the years, has the way you write has that changed or has that grown in any way? I think yeah, you improve. It's like
1: anything you you learn uh, you learn how to streamline it and um yeah the the biggest biggest problem I think with um, when you're learning how to tell a story. As you tell everything, and you realize, with, with, uh, jokes are jokes are good for that. Where you start to be able to clip the extraneous information, and uh, you know, there's one, there's one core. the 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 trick is to try to give the use the least amount of words to get to the biggest amount of laughs. Yeah. So uh, throw it all there, and then start editing. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and then you learn, you learn how to do that with time. Some comics don't, but they can make, they can make that journey fun in their own way. So it's, it's, different, for, it's different for everyone. But I, I would say that would be
0: the, one of the things I've learned in time. is. Has there ever been a time when you haven't been enjoying what you do, remembering this is something that you've said you're going to do when you're 12 years old? Yeah, yeah. It well, I mean, I mean, I know. Look, we all have good days and bad days, and sometimes we don't enjoy what we do. But saying that and actually really meaning it are two very different things.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could you could say that once, but then um, you know they're also how many times have you feared not doing it again you right, know? <laughs> exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the flip side yeah and I would say the the amount of times that I thought oh god I'd I, I never get to do it again um, is, you know there, I, I would be more scared of that thought like like when I was telling you about that piss thing a doctor one of the doctors I went to just very flippantly went well you probably just need to get a new job <laughs> <laughs> First of all, my job is harder than being a doctor. I'm I I know that cuz I know doctors who can't do my job. I've seen that happen before. Uh and uh, you know, we can all google symptoms. <laughs> <laughs> Act like you're some big fucking doogie howser. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's just so you, you, it's just so like well, just you know, just find another thing. It's, it's so hard to get good at this, you know. And that's when I also hear people complaining about um, you know the subject matter of a comedian's mm. act. Going, well, I don't see why you have to tell a joke about this. You can't control what you write about. If I wrote if I wrote a perfect joke about any subject, yeah, I would not be able to not tell you. Like even if I go, oh well somebody you know that could trigger somebody into thinking about it. I look, my job is to write jokes, uh you know if, 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 i might I might in my old age, I'd be able to mask it better, you know, act like somebody else said it, <laughs> <laughs> put on a wig and a fucking general's hat, and oh well <laughs> captain Captain Hardy says this, you know there's always ways around it, yeah. but. If you write a perfect joke, I think it's uh, it's it's up to you to tell it, regardless of uh, yeah. Do you think anything's off limits? No, no, because it's not for me. Like you could tell me a joke about anything, Um, but it would be whether or not I laughed at it. Like um, that, you know. Not everything's funny. That's true. Um, what's funny to one person isn't funny to another person so I, th- I think the um, the onus is on um, is on um, the uh, audience member to do a little research and uh, and to see what they like, and uh, you know, you could find yourself in a pl- in a place where you didn't enjoy what was going on. But I don't think that that would give you the
0: right to tell everyone to stop. No, and also you can just remove yourself from that situation. Well, that's what if I would not, do. If, like, if I'm in a, I was at the, I was had a day off work the other day, and I thought oh, I'm going to go to the cinema. I haven't been to the cinema for a long time, and very rarely do I get to do that yeah. of an afternoon. And I sat there and I started watching this film and I was like 45 minutes in and I'm going, I'm just not enjoying this. So I'm just going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to leave. Yeah. And I don't, I've got no qualms with doing that. If you, it's a waste of time. It's yeah. a waste of people's time. Yeah. remove yourself from the situation. You don't have to sort of piss and moan about why <laughs> this is wrong and why you think this is wrong.
1: Well, I mean, uh, attention is now currency too. Um, for, also, for good and for bad. And
0: also nowadays, everybody's a critic. Yeah. It's so easy. <laughs> I know. In it. Yeah. There you go. Another one's popped up. <laughs> yeah. Like that. Yeah. The one, like, why
1: would you want to be known as a critic, though? <laughs> You have the power of the internet at your disposal. You can do anything, you can be anything. You are a cyber god. I've got a few points I'd like to make about this day of entertainment. Or so-called entertainment. Wow. He <laughs> could have been learning about frogs or some some he could have been learning about something. I didn't like it, and here's why.
0: <laughs> Glenn I've loved talking to you this has been brilliant man yeah. I wish you all the best in August when you go back to Canada thank and, you and um, anytime you're over here please come and see me or I'll come and see you do some stand up I'd love that yeah okay go take man. Care. thanks man
1: thank you too
0: I'll, I'll join you in these beers when I come back okay <laughs> perfect save them we'll say <laughs> I'll definitely save them I promise <laughs> <laughs> have a good gig tonight man will do episode is done and what a guy glenn is so funny man and his laugh is so infectious and he's very warm guy and he was telling me if you're ever you know in soho square in london in the middle there's a there's a wooden structure right in the middle he was telling me that the comedian marty feldman used to live there i think he said he was squatting with a few other people anyway it was a nice little tip but i don't think we recorded that he was telling me when we were walking in um, so a big shout out to Glenn for making the time before his gig to come on. It really meant a lot. And yeah, thank you for downloading and subscribing. Now, please go and tell your friends. They have 90 episodes of conversation to uh, to get involved with. Yeah. Also, there's another thing. There was a few people asking why we weren't getting involved with the London Podcast Festival this year um, we were going to it's again it's all about dates we just couldn't make the dates work for us um, Griff was busy I was busy and we were going to do something rather special and in fact we are going to do this at some point um, myself and Scroobius Pip have been in talks about collaborating on something bringing the podcast together Um, so yeah, watch this space? I think we're going to do, I don't think we're going to leave it a year. I think we're going to maybe do a one-off event. Um, myself and Griff and Pip. Um, yeah. So but we'll keep you posted about that, which should be very exciting. Speaking of exciting, episode 91 next week. Um, no, I was going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. Strap in. And if you're coming down to Kendall, come and say hello. Uh, It'd be really good to see you. Uh, I can't wait to see I'm still excited about Nile Rogers. I can't believe it. And it'd be so great to see John because he's just one of the best. And I always felt that with our first episode with John, we didn't get enough time. So uh, we're going to rectify that on Friday. So look, we shall see you at the front in Kendall. Get there early. Last year, it was just mobbed. Right, I best go. Look, thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, until next week, or until I see you at call him. I've been Craig Parkinson, he's been producer Griff, and this has been The Two Shot Podcast. Take care, look after yourself, all right? The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers.